Movies get old, hobbies get old, people get old, places get old, but God never gets old. Amen. That's one of the authentic marks if you're really living out authentic Christianity is that every day you have wonder living with Jesus. Wonder, joy, something new every day. Amen. God hadn't stopped. God is still moving in the churches of today, in the hearts of the believers, in the lives of each and every one of us. Amen. But if you would turn to Matthew chapter 7, we're going to pick up on the conclusion of probably the best sermon ever preached. Probably because it's because the preacher preaching it. It's Jesus. We pick up at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Let's go to uh, Matthew chapter 7. We're starting verse 21. The Sermon on the Mount. This sermon's still being preached everywhere. Amen. Everywhere. Verse 21. And the Word of God reads like this. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles. Jesus says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. He goes and gives us that stiff, stern teaching, that rebuke right there. And then he ends it with this. He ends the Sermon on the Mount with this parable right here. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on him. And he's been preaching for a while. You take it back to Matthew 6, Matthew 5, there's the Beatitudes. There's a lot of stuff in this sermon he's preaching. And he says, all this stuff I've been talking about, all this stuff I've been preaching, the person who hears these words of mine and acts on them, he will be compared to a wise man. Somebody say a wise man. A wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against the house and yet it did not fall. For it had been founded on the rock. But this is how he ends it right here. You know, us preachers, we like to, uh, you know, end our sermons with with an auditory just uh, uh, release of fireworks. We're trying to get everybody fired up and, you know, we're trying to make sure you leave out of here. And you were like, man, that was awesome. God moved. But this is how Jesus ends his sermon on the mount. This is how he ends his preaching. He says, but listen, this is how I'm going to conclude right here. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and don't act on them. He'll be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and slammed against the house, and it fell. And not only did it fall, ladies and gentlemen, but great was its fall. And when Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one having authority not as their scribes. So Father, in the name of Jesus, God, I thank you for everything you're doing here at Victory Life, God. 
Lord, I pray, God, that you reveal something in your word this morning, God, that we can apply to our life, God. Don't allow us to sit in this sanctuary this morning and be mere hearers of your word, God. But give us the grace we need to apply your word and walk in your word and live in your word to be a light in this community, God. We pray for your anointing this morning upon the word, upon these men and women, God. Open up our hearts, God, to receive the unadulterated, unwatered down truth that's hidden in your word, God. Bring revelation in the name of Jesus. And all the saints said, Amen. Amen. Go ahead and give God some praise in this house. Building it on the rock. Amen. So this morning, I'd like to talk about the two builders. We got two categories of people in this place this morning, the wise and the foolish. Amen. And that's what Jesus is saying, not Zechariah. Amen. The wise and the foolish. This morning, I'd like to talk about the parable of the wise and the foolish builders. Amen. Foundations. I'm going to speak about foundations. I'm going to open up with this story. Dr. Victor Heiser, he was the author of one of the bestsellers uh, uh, book, An American Doctor's Odyssey. He was 16 years old when the tragic Johnstown flood struck in 1889. It's been a minute. He was out in the barn getting a horse when he heard a dreadful roar, and when he ran to the door, he saw his father up at the house frantically motioning for him to get to the top of the barn, and in a few seconds, he was up on the roof. In a few more seconds, he saw houses and cars and trees and animals go by striking his house. And the house collapsed like an eggshell, but the barn was torn from its foundation and the barn began to roll. By scrambling and crawling, he was able to keep on top and the barn struck a neighbor's house. He leaped in the air and landed on the house just as it collapsed. And fortunately, another house rose up beside him and he was able to cling to it. He lived this experience over and over many times in his dreams and he vividly recalled his fingernails digging deep into the shingles of the house. He was swept into a jam of wreckage and he had constantly dodged the death blows of trees and beams and houses and cars and animals and a freight car came crashing into the wreckage and it threw him, it threw him into the waters like a bullet. He was swept up again into another jam of wreckage against a brick building It was still on its foundation. Somebody say foundation. Foundation. He managed to get to the top of this roof, and it was a solid structure. And there was others there, and they were able to rescue people by sweeping as they went by and putting them on the roof. You see, this day it was raining so hard. It was flooding so hard. And they opened the skylight and got down into the attic of the, the building who had a strong foundation, who had a nice structure. The building head through the flood. It held through the storm, but most of the houses and the buildings around did not. 2,009 people were recovered that day, and even more than that were lost. And in those buildings, the one they stayed in, it had a deep and it had a solid foundation. And this house lived to tell the story after the flood, after the storm, after the winds. Many gathered with the reverend of the church in the heart of the city. The waters began to fill the basement, but it withstood the flood. The building with the strong foundation saved lives. It withstood the flood, and it was there to tell the story after all the disaster, after all the tragedy, after all the crisis. And in this story, a strong foundation, it meant saving. It meant life. It meant to tell the story another day. That's what a strong foundation meant in this story. And can I tell you something? 
We understand foundations in the physical, in the natural, when disasters come and floods come and when the winds blow. But can I tell you, what you're building your life on is just as important. The foundation of your life is just as important as the physical foundation of these buildings in this story. There was two builders and they had houses. Both of them had houses. Both of them probably had the same amount of time. They could have put in the same amount of work. They had the same amount of materials. And what's interesting is the same storm came to both of these houses. But the difference is, one of the houses was built on the rock. And one house was built on the sand. And the Bible says the house that was built on the sand, it didn't stay through the storm to tell a story another day. And I'm here to tell you this morning, what you're building your life on is crucial for your success as a Christian. Amen? It's obvious when we consider physical floods, buildings, foundation, but the same principle, Jesus is trying to tell us, the same principle lies in our lives. You see, these houses that these men were building, it represented lives. And can I tell you this morning, we are all building. Everyone in here, we're building something. Every action we take, every decision we make, everything that we begin to do, we're building our life. We're beginning to building our house. We're building our house. We're building our house. We're building our foundation. We're putting the walls up, putting the roof on. Everything we do, we're building. We're building. We're building. Both of them were building, but only one withstood the storm. Amen? And so, has anyone ever lived in a house that needed foundation repair? Yeah, we lived in some houses that didn't have floors, amen? <laughs> yeah. Has anyone, has anyone ever built a sandcastle on the beach? Right? Some of y'all are like, no, no. Well, has anyone ever heard the story of the three little pigs? And if you don't fall into these three categories, you're not living life, amen? <laughs> One of these. But it's all the same. It's about foundations, a sandcastle, when you build a sandcastle and the tide comes up the high tide, it washes it away. And the three little pigs, the hay, the straw, right, washed it away. The big bad wolf came and he blow and he blow and he blowed and he blew them away. But the house that was built with rock withstood the big bad wolf. Amen? And so I ask you this morning, saints, how is the foundation in your life? How's the foundation in your life? And when we pick up this story right here on the Sermon of the Mount, right, he gives us this parable after he teaches us how to live like a Christian. The Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, he's teaching us uh, uh, how to live like a Christian. He's given us advice. He's given us wisdom. He's given us the Word of God to apply to our life. He's not teaching us how to become a Christian because you can't become a Christian by doing things. He's teaching us how to live like a Christian. Amen? I'm telling you, he, he, he lays out the character traits of a real Christian. He lays out the beliefs of a true believer. He lays out the behavior and the characteristics of what it means to be a man or a woman of God. In these, these few chapters right here, he explains the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor, right? Blessed are the meek. You know what I'm talking about. Blessed are those who mourn, for they should be comforted. He goes to explain that us, we're the salt of the earth and we are the light to the world. Jesus goes on to explain how to keep personal relationships godly, how to keep them holy, how to keep them pure. 
Jesus, you know, we think just not punching somebody in the face is good enough. But Jesus says, no, no, no. I'm going to take it a step further. Anger can't reside in the heart of a true believer. Well, I didn't sleep with her. No, 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 no. Lust doesn't reside in the heart of a true believer. And he's telling us these things. He's given us all this stuff. He's given us this good advice. He's given us these good words. He's saying, listen, let your yeses be yeses and your noes be noes. Don't be wishy-washy. Don't be half committed. Don't be in one day and out the next. That's not the mark of a true believer. He's giving us this advice, this word. He's going in deep, right? He's giving us great sermon. Great sermons. These sermons are still being preached today. And he even shows, he says, listen, as a Christian, you're to love the unlovable. It's really easy to love someone that does good to you, but how about loving somebody that does bad to you? And this is, this is the stuff he's getting into him. He's getting into deep preaching. He said, listen, you've got to pray for your enemies. You pray for those who persecute you. He tells us about serving God in secret and letting God bless you in public. Some of us only want to serve God in public, and we don't care about God in secret. And you see, Jesus is flipping it. He said, no, 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 no. He's telling us, listen, as a Christian, there's a threefold cord that holds you together. It's to fast, it's to pray, and it's to give. These are the marks of a true believer, to fast, to pray, to give. He, he gives us the solution for anxiety. He gives us the golden rule. The golden rule, treat your neighbor as you want to be treated and stop judging everybody else. This is what Jesus is telling us. He tells us, listen, your works don't save you. Your religious hypocrisy does not save you. What you do for God does not save you. I'm telling you, I mean, he, he spent probably hours upon hours preaching Preaching, preaching, investing in his audience, investing in the church, investing in his disciples, investing in the people. Great sermons, sermons that fired people up, sermons that that, that astounded them, that amazed them. And he was investing and he was preaching, he was doing all this stuff. You see, he was giving us everything we need to be successful as a Christian. But then he ends it and he says, listen, I preached all this to you. I shared these parables. I shared this wisdom. This is from God. He's getting it from God and he's delivering it to his audience. He's delivering it to his people. And he says, but listen, knowing it is only half of it. And he gives us a parable. He says, listen, you can hear everything that's being said from behind the pulpit. You can listen to what the pastor has to say on situations in your life. You can take counsel from your Christian brothers and sisters. But if you don't apply it... Your house is built on the sand. You're just sitting in here and just listening to the word, just being a mere hearer, but you're not applying the word. So when the storms of this life come, your house goes spiraling down. Not because you didn't hear the word, but because you didn't do the word. Because you didn't apply the word. You didn't live by the word. Amen? And the Word of God has everything you need to build a successful life. You hear me? It's got everything you need. If you have anxiety, go to the Word. If you got trouble in some kind of relationship, father, brother, mother, pastor, sister, wife, whatever it is, go to the Word. If you got unforgiveness, go to the Word. If you don't know what to do when you find your brother in sin, go to the Word. Whatever you deal with as a Christian, the Word of God has the answer. It is the solution. It has the keys. Amen? It reminds me of a, a friend, you know, I once had. He liked to drink a lot. Amen? Some of y'all fit that category. Used to like to drink a lot. And he got real drunk one night. And he lost his keys. 
And his car was half a mile down the road. And he's up the highway and he, he's looking for his keys. Cop comes by and says, man, are, you know, finds out he's drunk. He says, what are you doing? He says, oh, I'm searching for my keys. And the cop says, you know, okay, I'll help you. Well, where did you lose the keys? And he says, oh, half a mile that way. And so the cop's like, okay, I know he's drunk, but is he dumb too? <laughs> he says, well, if you lost your keys half a mile that way, why are you searching for them right here? And he said, well, that's easy, officer. There's not a street light down there. <laughs> that's funny. But sometimes that's what we do. We look for the keys. We look for the answers in all the wrong places. We go to our unsaved friends for, for, for advice on what to do in our life. Huh? We go to those self-help books to try and find out what, we, what we're missing in our life. Huh? We go to all the wrong places to try and find the solution. And I'm telling you today, the solution is in the Word of God. It's right here. It's in the Word of God. But here's, here's the kicker, though. Here's the kicker. You're like, man, I've been hearing the Word. I've been listening to the Word. I've been listening to Stephen Furtick and Field Kid. I've been, man, I've been, you know, reading these spiritual books and all this stuff. But I'm still just being defeated and I'm, I'm not successfully living as a Christian. Well, are you applying everything you know? See, sometimes we get confused. We think listening to the Word is enough to withstand the storms of this life. But it's not. And this is what Jesus is trying to say. He said, man, you show up in church, you're going to get fed the pure word of God. You're going to get some stuff that's going to help you through your week, help you through your month, help in your life, help you with people that you just can't deal with without God. He's going to help you. But the problem lies within us applying the word of God that's preached to us, that God speaks to us. The problem isn't hearing. The problem isn't doing. Can I get some help? Amen. He talks about foundations. He he talks about the parable and foundations. He's trying to show us, Christians, it's not about just knowing or hearing these things, but it's about acting on them. It's about doing them, applying them. Amen? And I love it because Jesus says this, the determining factor to tell if someone is wise is not how much you know, but it's how much you do. You could know a tenth of what some of these great theologians and doctorates know, but they don't live none of it, if you live a tenth of what you know. Amen. You're wiser in the eyes of God. Uh-huh. Come on now. It's not about how much you know. It's about how much you live by. Amen? That excites me. Because I'm foolish, so if I just got to apply the little bit I know. Amen? <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. And Jesus was a carpenter, so he understood construction. He understood foundations. And in that time, his audience would understand as well, right? And so Jesus tells his audience, he says, listen, there's two categories of people out here. There's the wise and there's the foolish. Amen? And how a person builds their life determines in which category they're placed. Amen? And I love it because the Greek translation of this word foolish, you know what it is in Greek? It's, 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 uh, it starts with the M. It's where we get the word moron. It means moron. That's Jesus, not me. Amen? Jesus is saying you're a moron if you don't live by what you know. Uh-huh. Yeah. We see, wisdom starts by hearing the Word of God. That's not where it ends. It ends with doing the Word of God. It ends with applying what you know. Amen? I believe if some of us in here, if we could just apply a, a half of what we know, we would be skyrocketed in our life. 
We would, be, we would slingshot forward in our life if we just applied half of what we know. Can I get some help? Amen. James 1, 20 through 22. Do not merely listen to the word and deceive yourselves. Hello. Amen. This is James, brother of Jesus. Amen. Could you imagine meeting the brother of Jesus? Amen. The Christ, the Messiah. Can he come over? Man, ain't no Christ, the Messiah. I played softball with him yesterday. That ain't the son of God, right? That'd be interesting to be the the brother of Jesus. But he says this, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And it's interesting that another place in the Bible that speaks of self-deception is in 1 John 1.8. It says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth's not in us. Do you want to know what's scary about deception? It's deceiving. You could be sitting in this room now, right now and have self-deception and you don't even know you're deceived. The scary thing about deception is it's deceiving. You could be sitting in here right now and say, man, I'm perfect. I don't do anything wrong. And you'll back it up. You'll go off and give the credentials. Huh? But the Bible says, listen, if you think you don't have any sin, any mistakes, if you think you're just so holy and right, the truth's not in you. Huh? Self-deception. You see, when you believe something but you don't act on it, you really don't believe it at all. But you're deceived into thinking you believe it because you're deceived. You're supposed to act on what you know. self Beware of the illusion. Beware of the illusion. Then we come in the church to hear the word of God and we come to the worship service and we, we have this great experience and we leave out the same way because we think we are okay. Beware of the illusion. Listen, when ministry becomes performance, then the sanctuary becomes its theater. The congregation becomes the audience. Worship just becomes entertainment. Man's applause and approval become the measure of success. But when ministry is for the glory of God, His presence moves into the sanctuary and even the unsaved visitor gets touched by God and can't deny that Jesus is in this house. Amen? It might not be the best ear-tickling message, but God told me to preach it. Uh-huh. And if you're a lover of the truth, shout hallelujah. You see, application is everything. It's what separates the wise and the foolish. Amen? That's how a lot of times guys in the home, you know, they'll be at a certain point in the ministry or in the women's home. You'll be at a certain point in the ministry and you feel like, man, I'm just getting taught the same thing over and over. I'm not getting nothing new. I'm not getting nothing new. And, and all the leadership and pastoralship was, well, if you would apply the stuff you knew, maybe God would give you something new. <laughs> you know? If you would walk in what you've been taught, maybe God will give you something new. Amen? Amen? Trying to get the, the calculus teacher to give you uh, uh, his knowledge and exam and you can't even pass third grade mathematics. That don't make no sense. Huh? I want the meat of the word of God. And you're not satisfied with the milk. Right? I'm starting to think we got that slogan. You know what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. I'm starting to think some of us Christians say what happens in church stays in church. Uh, no, no, no. You're supposed to take what you hear and what you receive 
And you're supposed to take it out of the church and walk in it and apply it in your life. Apply it to your life. Walk in it. Amen? Listen, you know, I can, I can watch all the hockey that I want to watch. I can watch instructional videos. I can, I can talk to hockey players. I can do everything I can. But if I don't put some roller skates on and some mitts on and get a hockey puck out there with the little stick that they got and actually start playing hockey, I'm deceiving myself into ever thinking that I'm a hockey player. Uh, I don't know much about hockey. It looks hard, though. But Jesus is trying to show us what we build our faith on is more important. It's more important than what we do. What, you, what are you building your life on? Listen, and these houses, if you pass by these two houses, the wise and the foolish, on the outside, they look similar. You see, on the outside, they look similar. They look like, they look like a nice... And this is, this is what I started thinking about. I'm like, man, Jesus. Because if you ever built a foundation in construction, right, it takes time, right? It takes time. It takes work. And really, if you're building a house with a foundation versus a house without a foundation... You're going to spend more time, more work, more effort, more materials building the foundation while the person who didn't build a foundation is going to get to work on everything above the foundation. And so while they're over here putting in chandeliers uh, and putting nice paint on the walls and putting bushes outside, you're over here building something that nobody can see with their eyes. You see, you're spending more time building where nobody can see Versus when somebody's over here that doesn't have the foundation is getting to make a real pretty house. So when everybody walks by, they're like, man, that house is beautiful. Man, that house is pretty. Man, what happened to that house? But when the storms come, when the trials come, when the winds blow, that house is no longer sitting there. And you're over here. You may not have a chandelier, but you've still got a house. Hallelujah. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, a house can look real pretty, but have a faulty foundation. You see, all the, a person can have all the outward appearance of Christianity, but never have a founding relationship with Jesus. Foundations are everything. Before you can start building a building, you have to first invest into the foundation. If not, you're just wasting money. You're just wasting time. You got to invest into the foundation. My pastor right now, we're building this church. Somebody get excited. Hallelujah. We're building our own church over there on 64. And all he's talking about right now is the foundation. Laying the foundation. Getting the metal and the concrete and whatever else goes into it. The foundation. That's what we're talking about. That's where you start. That's where you begin. That's where you invest in. God's in the home. God's working on your foundation right now. Girls in the home, God's working on your foundation right now. He's working on your foundation. And not everybody can see the foundation when they pass by your life, but that's okay because you and God know it's there. Hallelujah. You ever heard of the Leaning Tower of Pisa? Not pizza. I know y'all hungry. Pizza. Cowboys playing. What time? Pizza. Come back. Come back. The Leaning Tower of Pizza. Y'all heard about it before? Well, the Leaning Tower of Pizza, man, it is, it, is an, it is an awesome piece of architecture, right? Beautiful. When they first built it, 
When they first built it, they, 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 man, they, they spent money, put time, effort, you know what I'm saying, architects went in, but they didn't invest in the foundation. And they built high. They built pretty. They built high, right? Had a great design, great workmanship. It was great material, great pieces of marble used to create it. It was such a beautiful piece of architecture, but it was built on a faulty foundation. And it's still standing up today, but do you know what it looks like? It's leaning. That's where you hence the name Leaning Tower Pisa. So that building, because it had a faulty foundation, but they spent time and money on everything else to make it look pretty, it's crooked. It's crooked. It's still there. It's still erect. It's still standing, but it's crooked. You see, some of us, because we refuse to invest in the foundation, we're here, but we're crooked. But we're crooked. Yeah, we're crooked because of the foundation. Not nobody in here. Huh? Not this church, not this ministry. And the only way to fix it is to go back to the foundation. Back to the basics. Back to the foundation. Back to the foundation. Knowing Jesus. Jesus. Amen? You don't need extra seminary if you're crooked. You need to get back in love with Jesus. Amen? You don't, know, you don't, you don't need to ride around with the pastor and get these impartations. You need to fall back in love with Jesus. Fall back in love with Jesus. And the hands of God will take that crooked tower and make it straight. Hallelujah. Amen? But it's the foundation. And what I love about it is God God been trying to teach us not only through the Word of God, but through nature. He's been trying to teach us through nature the whole time. God created what? All the plants, all the animals, everything, man, women, everything, put it all together, right? And if you ever have you ever heard about or seen on TV or even passed by maybe one of those big, big redwood trees? You know, they got in like the, the national parks, the big redwood trees that are huge, just towering over you as you go by it. Huge, wide, really tall, right? Well, what you don't know about that redwood tree, the huge, tight redwood tree, is its roots are wider than that thing is taller. The foundation, the roots are wider than that tree is taller. But nobody walks by the tree and says, man, that's got some nice roots. Man, that tree got some roots for days. Yeah, rootzilla, yeah. We're going to nickname that Rootzilla. No, nobody sees the roots. Nobody compliments the roots. Nobody checks the roots. All they see is the tree. And I'm here to tell you today, God can use you publicly, but what God is going to do in you privately is going to be way more beneficial for you and your walk with God than what you do publicly. And here's the problem. You know, when I was contrasting the heart of King David and the heart of King Saul, King Saul trusted in God for God to use him publicly. But he didn't trust in God for his private life. And what separated and differentiated the two, King David and King Saul, King David trusted God in his private life. I know when King David was talking about, you know, he was preaching about the giant killer not too long ago. And King David went out there and what did he say? All the armies of Philistines were scared and they were nervous. And this little old boy, little, little young man comes out there and says, man, y'all tripping. 
I got God, man. And he goes out there, and what does he say? What's his remark? He says, listen, if God helped me with the lion, and if God helped me with the bear, this uncircumcised Philistine ain't got nothing on God. But listen, what, what's, what I like about it is if you look in the scriptures, you never see no story about no lion or no story about no bear. Amen? Nobody was around for those private lessons God was teaching little David. Nobody was watching little David grow in the private. Those, those, those years, 30 years that Jesus was a carpenter, you don't hear nothing about that. But that's when God was growing Jesus in obscurity. The last thing you hear about him, he was 12 years old in the temple. It says he was confounding all the teachers. And his mom said, what are you doing, boy? Get on. And he got out of the temple and it says he grew in wisdom. He grew in strength. He grew in stature. He grew in favor with men and God. God was growing him in the obscurity. All those years I spent in the home, God was developing me. And not everybody saw me. And not everybody congratulated me. And not everybody came by and said, man, you're doing such a good job hidden in the home. Not everyone saw it. But God was developing me in the dark. He was growing me in the obscurity. And sometimes when you put a man or a woman in public too early, the Bible says pride causes them to fall. Because they get too focused on pleasing man and not pleasing God. And if I was a man pleaser, I would have never started serving God. Amen? Nobody walks by that tree and sees the roots. They don't see the roots. They don't see what's done in private. But God does. But God does. Amen? I'm getting excited myself. There's more growth that's not seen than there is that's seen. Amen. Amen? Come on now. Luke 6, 48. It's the same story. It's the same parable. Luke gives us a little different take on it here. In Luke 6, Luke 6, it starts in 46. Luke 6, 46 through 48. It's the same parable. People told me that I don't cross-reference Scripture enough when I preach. So here you go. Here's for all you haters. Amen. I'm finna cross-reference it up today. Woo! 646 through 48. Yeah. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I will show you whom he is like. He's like a man building a house. This is it right here. This is what Luke gives us that Matthew didn't give us. That's why I'm so happy I got the synoptic gospels. Because what Matthew didn't see, Luke saw, and it helps me grow in my walk with the Lord. And so I'm grateful that God gave me more than just one account of what Jesus did on the earth. And Luke says this, look, who dug deep. Somebody say, dig deep. deep. Come on, look to your neighbor and say, dig deep. Dig deep. deep. Luke tells us that the man who built his house on the rock, he had to dig deeper. He had to dig deeper. And I told you before, he spent more time, more resources, more money. It took more effort to build a house on the rock than it did build a house on the sand. And in those days, in that area in Palestine, the area had the land, it had a lot of topsoil. And so for in order to get for you to get to that bedrock, you had to dig deep and you had to get dirty and you had to get through some mud just to get to the rock. You had to dig deeper. And in those times, the houses, they were also built in the summer seasons to prevent having to work in the rain because the fall and the winter, it was rainy season. 
It was rain, rain, rain. Could you imagine trying to build a house in the rain? Huh? You're going through a storm. Now you want to start reading your word. Huh? Now you want to start praying. Well, if you was praying when everything was good, you would already be prepared for that storm to come your way. Uh Uh-huh. But you got to understand, building your foundation, building your house on the sand, it was a shortcut. It was a shortcut. And you got to understand, these people this time, for him to hear Jesus say, build your house on the sand, they're like, that's crazy. They're like, who would do that? It would be a waste of time, a waste of resources, a waste of an investment. Who would do that? And Jesus says, that's what I'm saying. (laughs) Amen. But Jesus is trying to get the point across. He's like, but that's what we do when we come to this Christianity thing and we don't apply the word that we know. It's crazy. It's astounding. It don't make no sense. These people were like, what the heck? Who would do that? And that's what God said. Who, who would do that not apply it? Who not walk in it? Huh? What I'm trying to tell you is if you're really going to build your house on the rock, if you're going to get to the foundation, if you're going to get it to where it needs to be so when those storms come, you can stand through the storm, you got to dig past the surface level of Christianity. you got to dig past the surface level. You can't just come to church and say, I'm on the rock, baby. No, you're in the pew in the church. Amen. Oh, well, I did the one memory verse Zechariah made me do. Okay. Where well, are you going to live by it? Uh-huh. You got to dig past the surface. It said to build on the rock, he had to dig. And it got dirty. And it got muddy. And I'm here to tell you today, sometimes ministry, sometimes church, it gets dirty. It gets muddy. And you got to be willing to dig past all that to get to the rock. Amen. Amen. You see, some of us think just because we're not smoking, we're not drinking, we're not drugging, that we're built on the rock. But what Jesus was saying before that is it's not about just the outward actions. I want to get to the heart. I want to talk about the anger. I want to talk about the lust. I want to talk about your wishy-washiness. You can't commit to nothing. That's what I want to talk to. That's what I want. That's what Jesus is saying. I want to dig past. Listen, God, God's in the business of digging deep, and he wants us to be in the business of digging deep. You see, God wants to get to that pride. God wants to get to that envy. God wants to get to that jealousy. God wants to get to that bitterness, that unforgiveness. That's what God's trying. He's trying to get past all this churchanity and all this putting on a face, putting on a mask. He's trying to get past all this, and he's trying to get into the heart and really bring deliverance to some things that you've been struggling with for a long, long time. He's trying to dig deep. He's trying to dig deep. Uh-huh. And it gets uncomfortable when God starts digging. It gets uncomfortable when God starts digging. Amen? Yeah. There's a big difference shouting amen on Sunday morning than Monday morning when the bank calls you and says you're bankrupt. Uh-huh. When the week hits you with all kinds of trials and tests and tribulations. You shouting amen during that? Uh-huh. Can I keep it real? And what I love about it is the wise builder. The wise builder built his house and he had the future in his mind. You see, the shortcut guy who built his house on the stand, he only cared for the moment. 
He only thought about the moment. And that's, that's like the, the ministry home. It's an investment. It's an investment. And you come into the home, you come into the discipleship program, you come into the discipleship training with the future in mind. And you say, I may have to sacrifice some stuff right now. I may not have to uh, get to some stuff right now. I may not get what I want to do right now, but I have the future in mind because I'm building my house on the rock. We've tried building our houses on the sand before, ladies and gentlemen. And them winds blew, and it knocked our butts smooth out. Huh? Yeah. He had the future in mind. The wise man did. And the wise man, he built a house to last. The foolish man just built a, a house for show. Mm. But you know what the good thing is? If you've been living on sand lately... You just need to pour the Word of God into your foundation. Hallelujah. Better in concrete, better in tile, better in any kind of texture, paint, whatever you got, the Word of God will solidify your foundation. Amen? And what I love about it is this parable tells us that the houses looked identical before the storms came. You know, they were spacious, they were attractive. On the surface, you couldn't really tell the difference. It is only when the storms hit that you could tell what house was built on the rock. Only when the storms hit. And the builder who spent less time, work, and resources on the foundation, he, he may have a better looking house from man's perspective, but the storms washed all of it away. Uh-huh. And the storm, what does the storm say? What does it tell us? The storm is described as what? It's described as rain falling, right? Wind blowing. And floods gushing. And what I love about it is both houses experience the storm. So the house that's built on the rock, guess what? They experience the same storm that the house that's built on the sand experiences. Because whoever told you being a Christian, you're not going to experience nothing, they lied to you. They lied to you. But the good thing is, the house that's on the rock, when it experiences the storm, it's still standing during the storm, after the storm, and it's expecting the next storm, and it's ready for it. Hallelujah. The house is built on the rock. But I think it's interesting, and you know, everything's on purpose when God gives us his word and Jesus. It, it's, it's rain falling, which is what? It's pressure from above. It's winds blowing. It's pressure from all around. And it's floods gushing. It's pressure from below. God's going to bring pressure into your life from above. This earth, because it's a fallen creation, and other people are going to bring pressure on your life all around you. And the floods, the enemy is going to attack you. It's going to be pressure from the bottom. As a Christian and a non-Christian, you're going to experience both. The pressures are going to come from everywhere. No one can escape the trials of life. Some of us think we pass go and we got to get out a trial free card. It don't work like that. No one can escape the trials of this life. Amen? It reminds me of a story... Preacher was away at a different country for a revival, and his friend went and picked him up. <laughs> it's funny. His friend went and picked him up at the airport, and his friend's like, Man, Pastor Preacher, our town, man, it got hit by a hurricane. It got hit by, man, floods and all this. Man, oh, my house, it's out of there. It went away. And the preacher's like, Well, son, that's because you're not living right. God's, God's you know, he's, he's disciplining you. He's really, he's getting at you. And, and, and the man stopped. He pulled over, and he looked at the preacher. He's like, What? And he's like, Preacher, it hit your house too. <laughs> See, what, 
what kind of religious answer you got for that? <laughs> well, God's testing me. But what I'm trying to say is everyone experiences storms. Everyone, you know, gets hit by the enemy. Everyone has life pressures. Everyone has to deal with life. I was telling Savannah the other day, a lot of us in this room, we're real good at rebuking the devil, but we are horrible at just dealing with life. And anytime life brings us something, there ain't even the devil over there in another country. And we say, oh, I rebuke you, devil, in the name of Jesus. I said, that ain't the devil. That's a water bill, brother. <laughs> in the name of Jesus. Ha! No. That's your husband. Amen. <laughs> yeah, you picked him. That's why I tell my wife, you picked me. Some of us are real good at rebuking the devil, but when the storms of life come, your foundation's tested. People always experience storms, but depending on what your house is built on, gives the end result. Amen? What I'm trying to say is during a storm is not the time that you need to be building your foundation. You should be building your foundation before the storm. Before the storm. Digging in your word. Coming to church. Fasting. Fasting. Tithing. Doing all these things. Digging. You know, chopping it up. Just really digging. Praying. Just really coming after God. Building that foundation. Building that foundation. Building that foundation. Amen? Worship team, you can come up. These two men, they shared the same vision. They both wanted a house. They both listened to the same truths. They both experienced and heard the same truths. They both faced the same storms. They both experienced the same storms. But these two men were different in character. And character has a whole lot to do with it. My pastor used to tell me all the time, Son, don't look at all this. The anointing will get you there. But son, you've got to understand your character will keep you there. Your character will keep you there. And when I was in the home, when I was in the dark, when nobody was looking at the obscurity, when nobody, everybody just passed by Zechariah, God was developing my character. God was developing my character. Because God already gave you gifts, and He can put His anointing on you just like that at any given moment to accomplish His purpose. But Him building your character takes your willful obedience and time. you got to be willing to let God deal with you. Amen? you got to be willing to let God develop your character. Not everybody's willing. Not everybody's willing to let God work on them. Amen? We get on that potter's wheel for a day, and we're like, ah, this is uncomfortable. I'm ready to get off. And we jump off. And the potter just sits there and said, I'll wait for you, son. I'll wait for you, daughter. And he get back on the wheel, and he starts pressing that same spot we left off on. Uh-huh. They were different in character. They were built on different foundations. You know, we've tried building our life on, on, on a marriage, on a career, on pleasure, right? On, on all these different things. We tried it. And when the storms come, guess what? Our house was blown away. It was blown away. You've got to build your life on the Word of God, on Jesus, on your relationship with Christ. Different foundations, and, and there's two different results in the end. And listen, if your house is built on the rock, guess what? You're going to have stability, man. Yeah, you're going to have stability. And can I tell you, a, a, a great church epidemic right now in churches in our society is instability. Yes, One minute everybody wants to be in the church, and then the next day they got offended, they're out. One day everybody wants to be in the marriage, and then something's said wrong, then they want to be out the marriage. Instability is a huge epidemic right now. It's a problem. And can I tell you, when your house is built on the rock, you will have stability in your life. 
No matter what God tests you, no matter what the enemy brings, no matter what you go through, you will be standing on the rock. You will have stability through every trial, every tribulation, every storm, every pressure from above and below and all around. You will be stable in all your ways when you're built on the rock. Amen? If you're built on the rock, you're going to have security. Woo! You're going to have security. Security. You know that you got Jesus. You know that you got God. Can't no big bad wolf come and scare you because your house is on the rock. Hallelujah. You're going to have stability. You're going to have security. You're going to have security. I had my life in my hands for a long time. I had anxiety and worry and I was scared. I didn't know what was going to happen. I was, I was always living in a state of fear. But as soon as I gave my life and put it in the hands of God, all of it was wiped away. Because I know now that I am in the hands of God. Hallelujah. You will have security. You have stability. You will have security. And guess what? If your house is built on the rock, if your house is built on the rock, you'll have reliability. You, you'll be reliable. You'll be reliable if your house is built on the rock. Because even when, when, when offenses come your way, even when people wrong you, even when pressure comes, even when, when you're mistreated, unfair judgment, unfair treatment, when all this stuff, guess what? You're on the rock. So it doesn't stop how you, how you move, how you act. It doesn't stop where you're at. You're founded on the rock. You're stable on the rock. If I keep hitting this stage, it might fall through. Is it good? Okay, it's good. It's solid. I got stability. I got security. And it's reliable. Hallelujah. Everyone and everything has the ability to let you down. Your pastor can let you down. Your director can let you down. Your husband can let you down. Your wife can let you down. Your family can let you down. I don't think my dog will let me down. She's faithful. Amen. But everyone and everything, it has, it has an ability to let you down. Can I tell you something? The rock will never let you down. God will never let you down. Jesus, He will never let you down. But the problem lies within us refusing to give our life to God, to build our house on the rock. Maybe the rock is somewhere we don't want to be. And God says, build it there. And we said, no, we want to build it over there. Or maybe building the rock takes too much time. It's too much work. It's too much effort. Well, God says, no, build it on the rock. You see, it's our refusal to have obedience to God, to build our foundation on the rock. is why the worry, the stress, the letdowns, that's when all that comes. 1 Corinthians 3.11. Come on, say, build it on the rock. I'm going to say it again. Build it on the rock. Amen. And I really feel like God put it on my heart to share this message. Because I believe he showed me that right now, we're finna, we're finna enter a season that whatever can be shaken, will be shaken. And whatever's founded on the rock will be here after the storm. Amen. Revival, conference, you know, with every act of God, every move of God, everything we're doing for God, guess what? The, the warfare increases. The testing increases. Because God's never going to put us in a position. 
we don't have the character to remain there and do what he's asked us to do. And so right now, you need to make sure that your life is founded on the rock. You're not founded on a position. You're not founded on a career. You're not founded on a relationship with somebody. You're founded on the rock. You got to be founded on the rock right now. You got to be founded on the rock. The writer of Hebrews, I love that scripture. He says, we enter into a kingdom that can't be shaken. That can't be shaken. But everything that's not in the unshakable kingdom, it will be shaken. Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, he said, For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Which is Jesus Christ. Because these people, they were starting to follow men and they were starting to follow different things. And Paul said, hey, hey, listen, the foundation's already been laid. It's Jesus. You may be able to build on it, but you can never dig it up and build another foundation. The foundation is Jesus. Amen? You stand to your feet. And that brought up a story. There was a little boy who was on a ship, kind of like the Titanic. It was a big ship, real big ship. And they entered a storm. They, they entered some winds. Hurricane season. Amen? Hurricane season. And the ship, with all these people, it didn't end up wrecking on some rocks, right? And the ship was washed away, and days, days went by. The ship was washed away. Everything, the cargo was washed away. Everyone was washed away except this little boy. This little boy. And this little boy was on the rock. And by the grace of God, a rescue boat a few days later come by. And they picked the boy up. And he says, little boy, you survived this. You survived the storms, the loneliness. You survived the, the trial, the tribulation. You've been through it. You survived it. You survived the shipwreck. You survived it. He said, you must have been shaking and quivering. You must have been scared. You must have been wiggling around all night long. And the little boy looked up at the, the, the Coast Guard. And he said, listen, I shook. I quivered. I was scared. I was moving around. But the rock never moved. The rock never shaked. The rock never, ever, ever was scared of the storm. And I'm here to tell you this morning, that rock, that rock is available for you. It's available for you. God wants you to build your life on the rock. Storms will come. Storms will come. Trials will come. Test will come. The devil will come. It all will come. But you can stay founded on the rock and laugh in the face of it. Come on, this altar is open. If you want to come get prayer, you want to come get with God, we're on the rock, hallelujah. We're on the rock.